0: Okay, so uh, I'm going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, I'm going to have an old friend on, a friend of mine that's uh, one of the uh, one of the more basketball-centric people that I know. And uh, I've always had a lot of respect for a lot of his sports opinions, and I think that his perspective on basketball specifically is earned and something that uh, you might find interesting. I know I do. Welcome to emotown. So, because we've known each other for, you know 12 years or something like that, uh, the, the I was kind of bad about introducing him. Uh, it's my friend Soren Sorensen, as I said. Super knowledgeable guy, and last night we both watched the incredibly frustrating Pistons game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, where we were up by 18 or something, and I thought we were going to win! So we started off kind of talking about the uh, the 2004 team, and I picked up with recording right around the time that it seemed like we'd forgotten we were recording. So that's where I'm going to drop you in. And uh, I hope you enjoy. Speaking of uh, of the 04 Pistons, Soren, uh, can I ask you, what's your favorite Pistons memory? Um, I don't want to like put your your age out there, but uh, you've seen things that I I didn't get to see, and I'm I'm kind of a for Twitter an older fan and uh and you've definitely had the opportunity to actually like witness things that people have just been talking about for most of my lifetime
1: yeah so um i i have the privilege of remembering watching uh some of the 88 and 89 and 90 pistons when they were the bad boys um and obviously uh nostalgia now um they're They're a group of guys that, uh, like, immortalized. It's funny watching some of those games. or watching the 30 for 30 bad boys and remembering um, that that whole um, walk out against the Bulls, you know, when they left the floor. It was like, in the moment, it was so, I don't want to say cool, but almost like, oh, they're doing it their own way. You know, they're just going to leave. You look back now and you're like, man, those guys are jerks. (laughs) Um, They couldn't lose with grace. They couldn't win with grace. They couldn't lose with grace. But if you're not a Piston fan, you probably hate them. Simmons can't stand the 0-9 because they they beat Boston. I mean, and you had to kind of go through that whole investment in a team. So, you know, Isaiah gets drafted and – they're adding pieces, and and Joe Dumars comes in, and a young Dennis Rodman sure. comes in, and they get Bill Laimbeer, and it's all these misfits, and they come together, and um, you know, you could you could hit people. You watch those those highlights from the '80s, and it's a completely different game. Brutal, physical, two two seven footers down on the block. There's no space. No one's hitting three pointers. No one's shooting three pointers. It was all compacted totally different game but um to not deviate too far from the subject my favorite piston moment um is actually in a loss okay (laughs) um and it's when chauncey billups hit that three-quarter half court shot against new jersey of course um they end up going on and losing that game eventually down the road but um that shot was uh why I remember watching that whole game. The Nets were that team that we couldn't get over the hump of. They were going to the finals. We'd hit them. I think that was, is that the first time we hit them or the second time we hit them in the playoffs? Um, and thinking, man, this is are we ever gonna beat this team? And then we hit that shot. And I'm like, the gods have have looked down and go, yep, this is it. And then they still lose. Um, so the emotion of I remember that emotional roller coaster, I guess I've attached to that moment of I was so thrilled because you look and you go, There's no way. And then he hits it. And then we go, was that the first overtime in the second overtime?
0: I think uh, that was to get to overtime.
1: To get to overtime? Yeah. Okay. Um and then to lose it. And I was like, oh, you know, is this ever gonna happen i you go back to this, we just hit a yeah. shot to set it to overtime. And we still can't get it. Um, so that's the one that's in. And I know it was in a loss, but it's it's uh, if you want to piggyback in the best moment, favorite player, Chauncey Billups, hands down, favorite player. Um, and for a lot of different reasons than I think a lot of people think of Chauncey Billups, they think of Mr. Big Shot and. um uh, you know hitting all those great you know kind of big shots sure uh, I look at him as this um general he was the floor general for that team and I'll link this to to Killian Hayes to to bring up you know something that we might get to later and what I think about Killian Hayes and the point guard position in general but um Chauncey Billups Went from this um, top three draft pick, score at Colorado, almost like superstar, to my job is to get these guys involved. And when it's my turn, I need to step up. And he kind of ran the game that way. And I think a lot of great point guards have that. Chris Paul has that. Steve Nash had that. Uh, Jason Kidd had that, um, all three of those guys scored in different ways and different amounts of scoring. So I don't think scoring has much to do with, are you a good point guard or not, but how you dictate, uh, your flow of the game, who's getting the ball, when are they getting the ball, where are they getting the ball, um, when to get yourself involved in in scoring as opposed to, um. Being secondary. Uh, Absolutely. So when people look at Killian Hayes and say, uh, you know, he was a top pick, we need him to be a superstar. I don't necessarily think that he needs to be a superstar. The biggest thing that I see when I play, when I watch them play is he's still trying to figure out a, he needs a jump shot, but B he he's trying to figure out where guys like the ball uh, when to drive when do I insert myself into this and it it, it helps when you can score at I won't say I will but when you know you can score in a multitude of ways he just needs to get better at knocking down some jump shots so that when he drives guys will kind of respect that and collapse and he can use his um, all-star ability passing to get some of these guys good wide open shots where they like them
0: for sure uh actually speaking of some of that have you been uh how encouraged have you been at like well right now I believe still at the end of the game yesterday Killian Hayes has the highest three-point percentage on the team which I think is if you had told me that at the B be- if you told anybody that at the beginning of the year, I think the prevailing narrative was that he wasn't shooting well and wouldn't shoot well. And that his shot looked funny and it's just getting better and better looking. And he's starting to get that. He's doing that. I can't tell if it's like a, an air guitar strum, or if he's like pulling <laughs> and uh, pulling a bow and arrow. I can't tell exactly what he's doing after some of these made catch and shoot threes, but He's celebrating sometimes before they go down. So I feel like it's getting to where Killian really is starting to believe in that shot. I think he's going to be, as you've kind of alluded to, I think he's scary. As soon as him and Cade, it doesn't matter who has the ball and who's off the ball. As soon as it, it, it becomes like a, uh, you have two guys that are both, a lot of the time when you get that. Uh, so if you look at, uh, at a situation like what they have in Portland, uh, where you have two small guards and one of them is decidedly more of an off-ball player i feel like that puts you in situations where that is as cool as that backcourt can be and as awesome as they can be to watch that something about that backcourt isn't quite right and that's why that's why it hasn't worked for them so far right the interesting thing about a backcourt like killian and cade is that you don't have that undersized guy who can only do the thing you would like your oversized guy to be better at or whatever. They, they don't have what they have is they have two players who aren't necessarily equal, but can do many of the same things and kind of put you in a matchup nightmare if, and only if Killian Hayes catch and shoot three pointer is uh, so far, not what he's doing so far. Isn't fool's gold. Do you get, do you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you see there as far as that tandem is concerned?
1: Uh, So I see that. And, and to go back to some stats, you know, Killian, I don't think has to score 18 points a game to be effective. He can score 12 or 14, but it needs to be in an efficient way. Um, If he's catching and shooting and if he's, uh, in rhythm or coming off the the uh, pick and roll um, sort of scenario, um, and Cade can do the the thing that he does best, which is score, score the basketball. <clears throat> so that can work. I totally agree with you. The the whole um, they're not they're they're not undersized. They can switch off guarding whoever they need to guard. Um, they're. there's something I come back to is shooting can be a learned skill to a degree. You're not going to go from, you know, 29% shooting up to 45% shooting, but you can learn how to be a better shooter just by shooting the basketball over and over and over again, getting up to a average sort of, you know, percentage, which I think is what killing can do because what I've always learned or seen is that if you can shoot free throws and make free throws the stroke is the same so Killian looks like he can make free throws he doesn't get to the line a lot which I think is part of the issue with this team in general sure. but, um, only he can make eight free- times yesterday yeah um, which I you know if we're going to talk about this year's team I think that is a whole different issue but um, he can shoot free throws he's got a good stroke so I think he can become a good enough uh, jump shooter and it doesn't all have to be threes. Look at Chris Paul. Chris Paul gets to the free throw line extended whenever he wants. And that shot is like a 70% going in. Yeah. Um, And he does it all the time. He does it multiple times in a row. You can't stop it. Um, So that's how I, I look at Killian Hayes and go, if he can get to his spot, and become a 60 or 70% shooter from that spot alone, and then just be average elsewhere. Um, it would help tremendously. And I think you'd look at him in a way that is, uh, he's not a superstar, but he's a solid starter and can be a point guard for a playoff team. Uh, sure. Because his defense is outstanding. His, yes. is um, rebounding for a guard outstanding uh assist uh, outstanding um and the way he passes the ball is not in a well I'm just gonna swing it around because I'm the next guy in line of swinging it to the open guy he really has vision that you just can't teach so you've got to be able and the only thing he's missing is that shooting um so I think he can learn it and I think you can give him, what, what is he in his 45th, 50th? He's not even played a full 82 games yet, right? No, because of the, close. the yeah. So, uh, and that goes into a deeper, you know, rookie sort of NBA, how they get accustomed, how many games it takes. Um, but until you see 82 games, I, I just don't think you can call him a bust or even, a a not I've heard people out there say, well, he, he's the one guy, if you're going to re-sign everyone when they come up in that little six or seven uh, foundational guys, he's the one guy that you could just like walk. I'm like, man, yeah, let's pump the brakes on that guy.
0: Yeah. So I, I agree with you. You know,
1: he's 19 or 20 or whatever. Like he, he can't even drink legally. <laughs> <So> right. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, you know, let's pump the brakes and just say, okay, let's get him to where he can shoot and really defenders have to um, uh, not let him just be wide open, you know, because that's what they're doing now essentially is they're saying, we'll take our shot at you missing that. And it's a, a turnover essentially. Right. Sure.
0: I would like to see you talk about his passing and that it's uh, he, he, one thing he likes to do, obviously uh, he will, a lot of them like to do it these days but killian seems to be really good at it uh is uh getting down into the lane and then firing off the dribble some pass to the corner like the weak side corner with his left hand you know what i mean and there he it seems almost to me like he relies on on that a little too much there's been a lot of those plays this year where i was like man i i know three is more than two but i think he had a layup there if he wanted to be aggressive you know, so that's that's the big thing that I'm looking for. Um, I, I have a tendency to think because of the free throw thing, like you were talking about, that the way his shooting has looked uh, the last 10 or 12 games um, might be pretty real. Uh, I don't know that he's ever going to be a great off the dribble three point shooter. I don't know that he needs to be. You know what I mean? Like catch and shoot would be great because then it opens up. uh a lot of things with him and Cade specifically playing together. Um, but uh, I, I have a tendency to think that one, one of the things that I would really like to see different from him that he needs to work on is just that aggression of, of asserting himself. It's like you were talking about with point guards where you need to know kind of where to assert yourself and get your own as opposed to to looking for other people. And some of them uh, swing entirely too much towards getting their own to be a point guard or whatever. That obviously isn't a problem with Killian, but it would really open up his game, I think, a lot. It would unlock a lot of things for him if he just got... And it seems like he's working on it. He's working on getting a little bit more aggressive towards the rim. This is a little bit of an old hat take because it's like taking the totality of his 50 games. But if you go toward the... Four or five games ago, I feel like he was in a streak where he was taking a lot of, uh, they weren't all going in, but he was making a lot of shots towards and at the rim. I think that's kind of a Cade Cunningham problem right now too. So I want to kind of talk to you about that a little bit. Keeping in mind that it's early, Cade's only played 18 games, uh, but he is the number one overall pick. Um, So just taking that whole picture, what do you like most so far about what he has to do? Or what he's done? Uh,
1: so the thing I like most about him is his, uh, and this is a cop-out, but his demeanor um, has really, he, he you know, you get drafted, he's the number one player, you go to a place like Detroit, who's not been great. Um, it's real, it, I feel like it would be real easy for him to go, I got to play my four years here, and then I'm gone. Right. I just got to put in the time and then I'm gone and then I'm out to LA or I'm out to uh, Miami or wherever. Right. He really seems invested in the town and getting better. He seems like a really good kid. Um, so personality wise, I think has been his number one. I do like his game as a whole. Um, I, I think he can get better. We kind of alluded this as we were as I was texting you or whatever last night. To call him a point guard, I just think is a stretch. He's a combo guard that can dribble. And as you were saying, he can get a little loops. And I think it goes back to that. He was always the best guy on the court at Oklahoma State. He's been the best guy kind of on the court leading up to it. And now he's getting into this situation where he's not the best guy anymore, um, which I think he needs to get a mentality sw- switch, and you could kind of see it last night, um, and you you can kind of see it um getting better and better and better. Where he needs to assert himself as the best player on the team. Now, Jeremy Grant scores more points and probably a little more consistently, but for Cade Cunningham to be where we need him to be in order to go places and to solidify that pick as um a solid pick if not super exciting because I don't think any of the guys picked were were tabbed to be uh the next LeBron James or or anything like that but a solid draft class nonetheless um I think he was the most solid that the one that had the highest floor um and the one that I could sit here and say he's got the shortest distance to go to reach the all-star, multiple all-star alpha dog uh, level, right? Jalen Green, I thought, yeah, the potential's there, but he's got to go so far, you know, much farther. And uh, Evan Mobley, the same thing. So, uh, and I liked Suggs out of Gonzaga. I liked him because I thought he had that bulldog mentality of, of uh, I'm going to, I really do know when to insert myself. And I think I'm the best player and he probably isn't the best player, but he thinks it. And sure. therefore he elevates himself to a level that's beyond where he's at. So I think Cade is working on that. Um, and it's not something that you just, uh, unless you're LeBron James, right. Or unless you're, uh, uh Kobe or Michael or any of these guys you do kind of have to learn that um to to be the um alpha dog Uh, and will he ever be the top five alpha dog no I don't think he has to be that either um again I think uh I like his game he's a good shooter he needs to get a little more control of the basketball which again as a whole as we were kind of talking last night this team in general needs to value the basketball a little bit more than what sure. they have been um and so again i was saying that it's not really a coaching thing um you can't coach that at the nba you can coach that at the high school level you can even somewhat coach it at the collegiate level at the nba level you, just, you can't coach turnovers that's an individual thing that Uh, you need to just say, I value the basketball. I need to be more careful with it and know where I need to go with the ball. When I need to go there, these are men (laughs) playing a very, uh, a very, uh, detail oriented sport.
0: Uh, so you're kind of hitting on that. It seems like maybe your biggest concern so far with Cade would be, would be the turnovers. And it, and it's, it seems like you've kind of noticed, I've, I've noticed a similar thing where, I think there's a part of him that is used to being able to kind of rest on just being better than everybody around him a little bit. I'm going to whip this pass. That's maybe a little bit lazy, but they go through 90% of the time used to it anyways, or I'm going to get, you know, he gets a little bit, I think it's, when I see him get loose with his dribble, it just seems like a, like a drop in intensity like mental intensity and mental focus wasn't there for a second. And then all of a sudden you're getting loose with the handle. I don't know that there's any sort of physical issue there. So it seems like we're kind of hitting on the same, the same thing with Kate where it almost seems like what he's got to, the biggest thing that needs to change with him is he's got to adapt mentally to not being the, head and shoulders best player that he's that's going to be on the floor that night, every single night, the way he was at Monteverde Academy in high school or the way he was uh, most of the time when he was playing with Oklahoma state. So uh, is that fair to say that your biggest concern is, 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 is mostly just the turnovers and and, and like the constant focus.
1: Yeah. And I think again, uh, unless your name is LeBron James, that is a legitimate thing that rookie, all NBA rookies kind of have to get over um, and to the, the, the good ones get over it and can be consistent. It's going in every day and being the same person over and over and over and over and over again. And it can get boring. And that's why you get guys like <clears throat> Anthony Bennett, a number one pick that goes butt. like, there's no reason he had all the physical attributes that should have made him. He, he mentally couldn't get over that hump. and boom, done, gone. Right. Yeah. What, so what a weird pick too. Yeah. You know, um I'm trying to think of, of who the number two guy was that year. I don't um, even
0: remember. I just, I remember that uh leading up to the draft, the Pistons, I think had the seventh pick that year and Anthony Bennett was rumored to the Pistons at seven and ended up going number one. I just couldn't believe it. So yeah.
1: Um, it's and look so that's why I kind of like Cade in the sense that he could have been, it could have been an Anthony Bennett. Year, right. Yeah. He got Cade. He's, he's 75, 80% of the way there, you know, where Jalen green, I thought, yeah, he might have more overall potential Um, but he's probably 55% there and he's got so much more to go. Same thing with Evan Mobley uh and Suggs I thought the gap to close for Cade was a, was a lot smaller and you take that risk in in the as a as having the number one pick right sure. um so because you have seen, I you know Michael or Candy you can go all the way back to that you know and where you're taking these guys on potential and then you look and you go well why were the Clippers so bad for so long Cause they're taking guys that have no business being the number one pick.
0: Sure. Right. You know, there Don't was win. a
1: run of, of picks in the first round. And so to go to your point on your sheet of, would I make the trade? You were alluding to a trade. For oh yeah. Yep. SGA. SGA
0: and six, which became Josh yep. Giddy for, yeah. for, for one, which of course became, yes. became uh Cade Cunningham. And I wanted to know, because I think that it's a trade that looks more and more reasonable you know, like it's not to say that the Pistons made uh, should have made a different choice. I, that's not what I'm trying to say. I just think that like SGA is very good, and Josh Giddy looks like he could be something special at some point in time in his career, especially if he can kind of like Killian Hayes develop a consistent jump shot of any kind. And he he'd, he'd be a very good player. So I just wanted to know, um, just not to say that I, mean, I don't want. I don't mean. Do you wish they had taken it? because I don't think anybody would wish that we didn't have Kay. That's a pretty promising future to be, uh, to have, but just knowing how it like how it looked last night, getting an up close personal look at both of those guys, would you have taken the trade? Do you think if just in a, in a vacuum, like,
1: well, so in a vacuum, that's, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, right? Right. Um, I think, I think it's a, it's an even trade. I, I would say that, um, I don't think you I you, both teams, if that were to have happened and get the same results, um, I think you could you could live with with you know both both teams would go like I won, I won that trade, right? Yeah. Um, but it were not in a vacuum. And I think part of the reason why Troy Weaver decided to hang on to that number one pick is in part because of the draft previous, where he had three first round picks. And instead of, I'm always forgetting more assets until you have four, five, six, seven assets. And now you don't need more assets. You need those assets to grow. Sure. And so he kind of took the draft previous with Hayes, Sadiq and Isaiah, and you could even lump in Garza and maybe livers. I think livers once he, Gets to his potential as a three and D bench guy.
0: Um, Once he plays an NBA shoot, game, I'm excited to see what that actually looks like when he does. Really,
1: really a good shooter. Um, I'm a U of M fan. I watched him for his U of M career. Sure. Um, I don't think he's going to be some all stud uh, NBA guy, but and I and I pumped the brakes to use this reference because it's a it's a hell of a reference. But almost like Robert Ory, he's going to be able to come in the okay. game throw up five, get three, and, like, you look down and you go, he had nine points in 10 minutes, 12 minutes, played some good defense, and, you know, that was his contribution. You need those type of guys. Robert Ori made a career out of it. So, but I would lump him in still as that is one of those pieces that going forward you could include him. Yeah. So then you lump in Kate Cunningham or two other guys. I think and you could even lump in Saban Lee in that all these young guys. I don't think it's about adding more pieces. Now, if we get a lottery pick this year, which it looks like, um, we're going to get a high one. Yeah, sure. (laughs) If not the number one again, but a a top four or five pick again, for sure. Are you going to take him? Yeah, I would take him. Uh, and, you know, we can go through who who we like. You sent me some guys. I've got some opinions on some of those guys. Again, another sort of deeper draft where I think you're going to get four or five guys down. You're going to get a solid player. Sure. Um, but anyways, you need those guys to now develop. Right. Um, you need Kate Cunningham to develop. You need Hayes to develop. You need Stewart to develop. He shot two for three last night uh, with, you know, like eight rebounds. Isaiah Stewart as is a second year guy shouldn't be shooting the ball only three times. Sure. Sadiq Bey uh, frustrates me a lot. He's he would be my favorite current player because of what I could see, what the potential I see out of him, but it's again not consistent. Last yeah. night he has a good shooting game, but then a couple of nights ago, he goes three for 15. And you're going, sure. why'd you take 15 shots? Um, or he doesn't take the shots, which frustrates me even more because he is a good shooter going through a little slump right now, but he seems to be coming out of it, which is good. But either way, those guys need to be more consistent, not let's just keep adding, adding,
0: adding, adding, adding. Sure. One of the, one of the things, and that's all, I think, I think you're really onto something there that you don't need to start adding guys who play out on the wing. To a team that's already kind of not all of them are good but we are rich with players who play out on the wing um, the uh, the thing I saw on Twitter somebody last night was actually uh, talking about this exact thing um, and the thing that they said uh, they kind of like you that they think it's an even trade but that the reason that uh, Troy wouldn't do it and ultimately didn't do it was that SGA has an impending like an upcoming extension and you're still four years away from having to deal with paying Cade any real money, you know? So you didn't, you didn't want to start your rebuild this early by having a max contract on the team already. And so that's ultimately why they think that Troy Weaver didn't make the trade. So I think I'm right there with you though, that there's, there's Pistons specific reasons to not make that trade, but that and SGA for Cade is it's fair. It's, it's a fair trade, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I can see why Oklahoma would have loved to have done it, because obviously you got a college hometown college star that's now staying in state probably would have been lucrative for them. So I definitely can see why, even if they felt like they were giving up more, why they might have done that. But uh, I'll, I'll stick with Cade, though. I think I, I think I'm glad that things shook out the way that they did. It's just interesting seeing them both play.
1: But correct me if I OKC has like a hundred picks in the next four yes. years or something. Yes. I mean, yes. they've got like so that. many picks. Yep. And of course, I don't think they're gonna pick all those picks, but no. at that point you can pick and choose. Yep. What you know, you don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. You just sit here and say, Well, I got the pick. I'll pick it if you don't, you know, you don't want to give me what I feel I want for it. Right. Um, so
0: yeah. We'll see you again next year with the uh uh You know, we'll be we'll be in top five again next year and probably the the year after that, whether it's our own pick or somebody else's, you know. um. Speaking of picks, you alluded to it already. It's my opinion that the Pistons need a tall big man who can jump. That's just that's the thing watching the games that just always seems to be missing to my eyes that other teams have are these tall jumpy big men i watched jared allen in cleveland and i am just i covet jared allen um so uh if you are the pistons and you wind up with a top five pick any of the just say that for whatever reason where you're picking any of these four guys are available um which one are you more high on yourself out of uh paulo bancero the 610 power forward from duke uh, Chet Holmgren, the seven-foot beanpole center from Gonzaga, Jabari Smith, the uh, two hundred or the two hundred twenty pounds, six-nine guy out of Auburn, or uh, Jalen Duren, the uh, you know maybe the most prototypical big man out of Memphis.
1: Well, I I like all of them honestly. Um, I I like I actually like Jabari Smith the most, but to to put two, six, nine guys on the floor at the same time uh, when you already have beef stew. Beef stew. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh,
0: beef stew.
1: I think would be a defensive sort of conundrum. because um, okay. Yes, you are Troy Weaver, and we're getting into larger concepts here of how Troy Weaver wants this thing to work. I think he's going for positionless basketball. That's kind of obvious. I think you would agree. Most Pistons fans would agree with that. He, he likes that positionless sort of um, interchangeable parts. Mm. Um, that's why you have guys like Hamadou Diallo and Josh Jackson, who I know you have a, a big thing with. Which one? Which one? Yeah. Um, but that's why, right? Um, and that's the way the NBA is trending. And I think, yeah, you need to you need to have an aspect of that but you can also look at a guy like um the Jokovic from denver who um is is kind of a um a big man he's not jumpy um per se but he uh is a, a low post sort of
0: presence so bonus um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's Um, he reminds me of Arvidas Sabonis. I I know Sabonis's kid is in the league too, but like yo, that's who Jokic reminds me of. As if Sabonis had come to the NBA Um, before he was a shell of himself.
1: Skilled, he can score back to the basket. If you double team him, he is great at passing out a double team to the open man. And if that guy doesn't shoot, the next guy in the rotation, you know, in in the line will. Um, so I think you need to have an aspect of that. So to say you need a jumpy big man, that would be great. Um, but a big man that, even if he's not your starter, can come in and when you do have a lack a, a lapse in shooting or you have four or five possessions where things aren't going in, you do ha- you have something that you can throw down on the block and say, go get us to stop sure. the run uh, sure. you know let's force the defense to have to rotate bring a double team can you and so so again this kind of goes back to bigger philosophy um i like luca garza a lot because i see him in a mold would you like somebody better yeah i think eventually you would need someone better but he is the mold. If you could get Luca Garza to do that, then whew, I think the team goes uh, in a in a in a upward motion for sure. Uh, if you were gonna nail down one of those four, I think uh, um, Holmgren, even though he's a pole, he went to he's going to Gonzaga. Um, good good school. Good basketball IQ, those kids always have good basketball IQs. I'm a huge Mark Few fan, yeah. Um, he teaches the game of basketball, they play a good brand of basketball out there. It's not uh, this start stop ball stopper sort of thing. Um, but, but you also alluded to free agency, we'll have 39 million dollars in cap space. I think that's you might basically be able the middle after uh. Yeah, you might be able to go after a DeAndre Ayton uh, if that's something that comes available. Um, so so that I guess you could do it in two ways. Although I am not a huge fan of free agency and the NBA, I think uh, you get too many Josh Smith contracts. Sure, if sure. No, I, I no, yeah. know what I'm talking about here. Oh, yeah. Um, where you're overpaying for guys that uh, think they can shoot three pointers and they're 25%. You're like,
0: stop shooting. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please don't shoot. It's just so you, hard then to then see what is going to like, it's gonna happen. Like what, how trans how's like situations are going to translate where a guy might be really good in one situation and then come to your situation. And it's just not, it's just not right for him. And I think there's so much that goes into being a, being a chemist at this level, that these guys like amazingly just get it wrong, you know? And, and so as a Pistons fan, I definitely understand free agency can make you really, really nervous. Um, I like Chet too. I think uh, I I'm nervous about his size, but one thing that I do like about him, he reminds me of one of my favorite uh, bigs from, uh, well, my childhood, probably your teenage years, Marcus Canby. He reminds me of Marcus Camby on defense. Um, it, it, Marcus Camby with obviously more, more of an offensive palette than Marcus showed in the NBA, at least. Uh, but he has. it seems like he has shot blocking and shot altering skills like Marcus Camby and that he eats up space uh, horizontally and vertically like Marcus Camby. I just wish that that, that number that said 195 said 235.
1: Well, I think you could, I, I don't know about 235, but an NBA weight program off season, uh, you know, put, put him at 215, you know, I think same thing. Right. Um, and I do think that we're missing that defensive sort of shot blocking, altering piece, even if that piece is not a 48 night a minute type guy. Sure. Um, if you're looking for pieces, and that's what Troy Weaver, I think, is looking for, he's looking for the puzzle pieces that fit together. And this team specifically is missing some pieces and they have some of the same pieces. Yes. Hamadou Diallo and Josh Jackson, same piece. Yes. So that's going to have to, you got to make a choice, right? Because they're the same piece. And if you're wasting a roster spot on the same piece, that's not how you get good basketball. So you got to be able to fit pieces and they are missing some, um, but he's got some, which is nice. And now he's got to sort it out. The one thing I'll say is Troy Weaver likes to wheel and deal and he's good at it. Uh, He's very good at it. So I, I trust that he will figure this thing out. I really, really do based on His history at OKC and the short time he's had at Detroit basically gutting a roster that Stan Van Gundy left with overpriced, overpaid, washed up players. Mismatched choice. Yeah. And so he had to kind of go, Okay, I need to get rid of almost everyone and figure out how to bring in a whole new roster of young guys and maybe some vets here or there going and getting Jeremy Grant. Um, at a decent price for what he does. Yes. Um, uh, I know we you mentioned about the Jeremy Grant thing. Um, is he an alpha? Pooh, I don't know. Um, I think he's Jerry Stackhouse. We yeah, talked about Yeah, I think he's it. Jerry Stackhouse
0: too. I really do. I think he's Jerry Stackhouse. And not as good uh, as Jerry Stackhouse, but like that's that's like the, the, the type the, of player he is. Yeah.
1: In that mold. And one of the things that I remember, and in, in, I, I don't think I'm dating you if you know who Jerry Stackhouse is, but for our team that, with Grant Hill and Jerry Stackhouse, Chucky e. Atkins, those guys, to get to the next level, you had to give up some pieces to get more important pieces. And I think Jeremy Grant is that piece on this team. I, I, I don't think that he is around when we – are contending i think he is a chip uh, i think he's a good chip yeah. i think if to the right team you can get a first round draft pick not even a 25 20 you know i think you can get a mid-round draft pick for him to the right team because he does have value if you if he is the second best player on a team put him on portland how about there put him on sure. portland where he doesn't have to be the, the alpha guy All he has to do is he doesn't need to um, pass or, or, or do those things that he doesn't do well. All he needs to do is go out and shoot and score. And that's what they're looking for out of him. And he can do that. And he's very good at it. But to be an alpha, you need to have a little bit more. And I just don't. He's close, but I don't see that he's an alpha.
0: Yeah, if he offered more as a rebounder or as a passer, I I think that there's even more excuse to keep him around. But the fact is, he's a he's a terrible rebounder for his size and for his position. Terrible. It's amazing to me that he's as bad as he is, uh, given that he's as good of a basketball player as he is and is as athletic and seems to understand the game as well as he does, that he's just as bad of a rebounder as he is. is amazing to me. Um, I think he's worked a little bit on creating for other people this season, but I think he's looked best in the, uh, I I said something on a, on a past podcast where he has looked best in the couple of games where he has absorbed more of a rip Hamilton role and let go of the Jerry Stackhouse role a little bit, let Cade cook and find you in like places where you're standing in space and can shoot. Um, and uh, or attack on closeouts or whatever it's going to be. Um, he there was a game. I can't remember who they were playing where uh, where Grant just looked excellent and was just on all these catch and shoot opportunities that were being set up by Cade. Cade was creating the look. Jeremy was burying it. And it was just the offense moved so much better than Jeremy constantly ISOing and trying to get his own looks, which I understand. Is 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 uh you know the the crux of being the best player on a bad team sometimes. I don't mean like that. So he went out there and decided, oh, I'm just gonna ISO, and that was probably just the best thing that was available when there was eight seconds left on the shot clock. You know what I mean, like. But uh, <laughs> when Cade was uh, setting him up more and allowing him to uh, just exist in space, uh, he seemed better. So. I, I don't know that uh, he will for sure not be on the team the next time that they're good. I, but I agree with what you're saying that Jeremy Grant at the very least in the mold that he's currently playing needs something, either he needs to go eventually, or it needs to change eventually for the team to uh, take that next step. Um, Jeremy could be the best player on the team and dribble a lot less. I think.
1: I uh, Yeah. I so I will I I I will disagree with you. I think he won't be. He's twenty eight. The core of this group is in their early twenties, and he's going to be a free agent uh, in two years. Yeah. And if we were, I think the timeline shifted. Uh, if you were to talk to me at the beginning of the year, um, I would have said, "Oh, I think the team's going to compete for one of those playoff play-in type games." Mm. ultimately do they make it or not but i think having competitive games in april would would help it's looking like that's not gonna not, sure. not gonna happen definitely right um, which is frustrating but i wouldn't necessarily say devastating um yet um so i think that sh- that shifts the timeline i think you, we all thought they were going to be someplace different they're not quite there yet for numerous different reasons. And I think he's going to be the odd one out. It's the same thing I have mentioned to you before about, uh, oh, who's the backup? Corey uh, Joseph. He's 30 years old. Yeah. Uh, he's getting minutes instead of saving Lee. I think it's just garbage um, because he's not. Corey Joseph is not gonna be around now when this team is good. He's gonna be 33 three years old. Sure. Um Saban Lee is the one that you need to figure out. Is he gonna be around here in three years?
0: I think um, some of these guys are I think a trade might point. be coming with some of these guys.
1: I, I do too, because again, I think you've got I Weaver again, I put your trust in Weaver, but I think he I knowing him, he's gonna go into it and go, um, uh, I've got Josh Jackson, Hamadou Diallo, which one's going to get me more on the market for what team? And one of them's going to be out of here. Um, Corey Joseph, put him on a team that needs a backup point guard that's going to the playoffs, a steady hand. What are they going to give you? Are they going to give you a second-round pick? Done. Um, yeah. Take it, you know. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think there will be – but, again – not that I think Corey Joseph is a trash player. I don't. I think he's in the wrong situation for the team that needs to figure out what they have in Saban Lee. You need to figure out is he Ish Smith or is he uh someone that is never gonna get over that hump that you he's the, the awesome G League guy that just can't quite get it together
0: in the NBA. No, I I agree with you. Uh, what about uh, we've been kind of talking about somebody? Somebody obviously is 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 going to go. They're going to make some moves. Uh, so let's let's talk about a couple of those moves that have been floating around in the Pistons. Like Ether, uh, the two that are the the big ones right now is uh, is Ben Simmons <laughs> and uh, and uh, Marvin Bagley. Uh, those are the those are the two names that seem to be floating around in on Pistons Twitter and in Pistons uh, beat writer circles and things like that the most. Um, so I guess I'll just say it like this. Ben Simmons, would you do it? Absolutely zero percent chance i do it. You wouldn't do it.
1: Yeah. And and, and that is that is right now At the, in August or last May, I still would have said uh, no. Um, but I think he has totally hurt himself, uh, uh, all self-inflicted mental problems. Um, talk about a guy with some mental hurdles, um, in multiple ways. Yeah. Um, and he's very talented. I mean, very talented, very young, still could still turn out to be a very good player. Um, but from what he is now, he's a non-shooter that we need shooters on the team. Yep. So that's what I feel like we need the most of, not another uh, guy that can't shoot and mentally I don't think is prepared to shoot. I, I watched the game that he gave up the, the layup for a contested jump shot, and I, I went, That's weird.
0: Yeah, that was really weird, (laughs) Um, man. It was really weird.
1: Because you just don't see that. No. Like, you don't see it in an NBA game. You see it in college sometimes or, you know, some other. You just don't see it where you have guys running into the defender to get a layup. Jeremy Grant does it four times a a game. Yeah. Um, You're talking about a wide open layup that you are not going to take. It was and, weird. and yeah, like at that level, weird, where um, now, again, mentally getting over that hurdle of, of, I know I need to shoot and I'm not shooting enough, like he's in his head and it's hard
0: to come out of that. So it, it seems like you, I, I have kind of been thinking that maybe Ben Simmons has the thing you know, the thing that like baseball pitchers get where they can't, they can't throw it over, over the plate anymore. Um, yeah. And so that, but, but one guy who got the thing and then successfully reinvented himself was Rick and keel got the thing came back as a power hitting, like right fielder. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what my question yeah. for you uh, just not, not vis-a-vis the Detroit Pistons or whatever, just in general, Ben Simmons, we both agree. Very talented, has the potential to be one of the three best defenders, I think, in the league. I, I, I don't know that he's necessarily like some kind of on ball dynamo, but his switch ability and his off ball and like his team concept defensive ability. I think he raises your defensive floor almost instantly. Uh, he's a good passer. He's a good ball handler for his size. Do you think Ben Simmons can make himself into a big man? in the nba rather like like a more traditional power forward or a modern kind of undersized center the thing that always rushes me off of, of being looking at a guy like ben simmons and being like he's a center and it's like the easiest and most obvious fucking thing that in 2021 he's a center it's the thing that stops me from like latching on to that is a guy like joel Embiid who would just eat him for absolute dinner but Joel Embiid eats everybody for dinner so what's the difference you know what I mean so why isn't like you have some basketball coaching experience and we haven't really touched on that but that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you the most because I feel like you have a different perspective than the average fan about these things what stops Ben Simmons from playing, just in your mind, not that you have to be right about this or some type of like dead hard expert or anything, but you have a different perspective than me. What in your mind makes it so that Ben Simmons cannot be a front court player in 2021?
1: I'll go general NBA terms. Sure. Um, because specifically, I think he could if he mentally wanted to. I think he could. um Generally, though, in the NBA, the Going back to the talent gap, and um, again, this seems like it doesn't flow, but I'll kind of help it. Coaching in the NBA is not coaching. It's managing personalities. And if you look at every coach in the NBA is going to draw up plays that are interchangeable to any team in the NBA. Um, You could take something that the Philadelphia 76ers do and probably match it to something that Portland does and this and Golden State and this and that, right? So the pick and roll uh, is, I believe, the thing that separates really good teams and really good players from – average and below average. Um and it's all about the matchups. So Ben Simmons as a 4 or 5 matches up with some other players really well uh at that position. And then other players he does not match up. And you mentioned one of them Joel Embiid, right? So guys like that he is not going to match up for and I think he could do it for part of a game. Sure. But to do it for 48 minutes, he's going to get eaten alive and NBA coaches are going to recognize that and basically come back to that same player that's, you know, matchup over and over and over and over to the point where whoever is playing Ben Simmons at that position is either going to say, I need to take him out of the game or I need to not have him play that position, which defeats the purpose of Ben Simmons playing the four or five. Does that make sense?
0: Oh yeah. No, it it definitely makes sense. It just, it, it seems to me like it's the only path forward for him is, is to either become a front court player or, I mean, we've been saying he needs to learn to shoot for how long has he been in the league? eight years or something like that. Like we've been saying he needs to learn to shoot for a long time. So, and he's not gonna, I don't, I don't think that'll ever happen. I've seen too many workout videos of him shooting three pointers and like, Oh look, Ben Simmons shoots threes now. And it never happens. I don't think it's something that I think a lot of people lose, lose sight of the fact that like Shaq can shoot three pointers when there's nobody trying to stop him. It's it's so much of success or failure in those situations is mental, right? It's once somebody is trying to stop you in this situation, this pressure filled situation, am I able to do this thing? I, I, I fully think that like when you see like, I saw a video of Trey Lyles working out at like LA Fitness playing basketball against some dudes just giving them the business over the summer and it's like these guys are all good they're all good they can all do a euro step they they can all they can all do this shit it's whether they can do it while someone's trying to stop them and in a pressured packed situation and i don't think ben simmons can ever shoot become a a a 34 percent three-point shooter in in a game i don't think it'll ever happen
1: right so to piggyback off that going back to that pick and roll part that i mentioned previous and I kind of was texting you about it and and the pick and roll in the NBA is I think the most deadly if used properly play regardless of where on the floor you're going to use like use it and that becomes the coach's job to figure out who's going to be the ball handler who's going to be the screener how do you space the other guys? Are we doing a one on five, uh, a point guard and center pick and roll, two wings? Are we doing two guards? Are we doing, um, you could do a four and a five if you have the right four and five. Look at Kevin Durant and uh, Blake Griffin, right? You can do sure. a pick and roll with them, right? Because sure. Kevin Durant is so skilled. So, not to get too technical, but so the pick and roll is there to make the defense have to choose its poison. Sure. If that makes sense. Right. And again, not to get too technical, but you are essentially putting the defense in a position to choose, whether it be the picker, the screener, or the ball handler, or a, a, an open shooter. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And it's all, you are essentially running that play to say, at some point during this flow, uh, we're gonna have the advantage on offense. Whether that's immediate with the uh, ball handler or the roller or pop, you know, if they pop out to a to an open spot, or sure. if the the guy dribbling collapses the defense and now it's on defense, whose man leaves who and who has to, you know, right, and that's how you get. Uh, a wide open shot or a a layup or that's essentially what you're doing. When, when the defense can uh, say Killian Hayes, we're going to give you that. We're not going to fight over the screen. We're going to go underneath it because we don't think you can hit that shot enough to make it worth our while to give you an open driving lane. Yeah. Pick and roll does not work. Sure. You can do it. You can do it. And maybe Killian Hayes hits one or two, but I watched Chris Paul run the exact same play five times down the floor because he knew I can get the shot I want. And at that spot, I'm going to hit it 70% of the time. So if you don't fight over it, the screen as a defender, I'm going to have an open shot that I'm going to hit 70% of the time. If you go under the screen, um, DeAndre Aiden's going to roll to the basket and I'm a good enough passer to give him an alley-oop or a, a dunk layup or whatever. Sure. Or I'm going, you know, if you fight over it and the DeAndre Ayton's defender doesn't come over and help, Chris Paul's going to have a wide open drive to the, to the, to the basket then the defense collapses, then you have Devin Booker standing there in a corner because Paul can fire it over to him and Devin Booker's money. Right. So that play in and of itself is, I think, the most important play. It determines, I believe, more in your winnability or skill, how you run that, you decipher and that's what killian hayes needs to figure out that's part of mental that he needs to figure out is when i go into the pick and roll what are they going to do the defense if they're going to give me that shot i need to be able to hit that enough so that the defense can't go on you know in this and that so that's a long answer i know but that's part of the matchup. Coaches are going to put players in that pick and roll that they believe. Uh, you know, if you put uh, uh, Hayes and Luca Garza in a pick and roll, yeah. you're putting Luca Garza in that screening not to be a roller. You're putting him in there because you want him to pop out and to shoot sure. because that's what he does, right? So, and and that could work you can't run it over and over and over and over again, but that's a play essentially in the NBA, right? That's essentially what the coach out of time out. Okay. Let's run the pick and roll with Killian Hayes on the wing and Lugar, you're going to come up, you know, and screen his defender and then pop out and Hayes look for him and we're going to get an open shot. Yeah.
0: That's a play, right? And so that's, and, and, and... And like having like explained all of that, it, it, it comes back to how the heck is, is Ben Simmons supposed to be a point guard in the NBA when he can't, he can't force the defense to come over the top, especially with how much, uh, I think the pick, I think the Pistons want to run a lot of pick and roll. And a part of me, like does see Ben Simmons in the, in the, in a roller spot as, as somebody that. If, if he committed himself to playing like that, we're passing out of the short roll. You know what I mean? Or uh, yeah. um, catching lobs and stuff. Like, I, I just feel like that might be his future in the league. Uh, and you touched on Sadiq Bay being your, probably your favorite guy on the team right now. Uh, and uh, touching on like make or miss league. A, a lot of people seem to be very frustrated with the way that Sadiq is trying to expand his game. And they think that he's like, lost his ability to shoot three pointers. Um, I think that's a little bit silly. Uh, but I also, you know, kind of want to get your perspective on just like the kind of year that he's having right now. Uh, I see, uh, I, when, when they drafted him, uh, I was reminded of, um, you would remember better than I would. Uh, I remember Chuck person as a three point chucker, but at one point in time, he was the best player on the Indiana Pacers and the rookie of the year and averaged like 20 a game and a handful of assists and a handful of rebounds. And it wasn't all jump shots. He put the ball on the floor. He put his back to the basket a little bit. That's who Sadiq has reminded me of the whole time is Chuck person. So I've been excited to see him trying to expand the game, but there's definitely a struggle going on. What, uh, what 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 are you seeing? What's your perspective lead you to see with all that?
1: Well, guys who can shoot don't forget how to shoot. Right, I'll say that. Right, and he can shoot. He made a good clip uh, when he was a rookie. Uh, 38% I think he's going think. through a, yeah, uh, which is absolutely acceptable. Right, yeah. um, if he hits thirty eight percent for the longevity, he's going to be a fine. I'll keep him on my team one hundred percent all the time. Uh, because of his height, because of his mentality, because of his um, other, you know, defensively, he, he's a he's a versatile guy. Um, so if, I think it's a sophomore type slump that all of a sudden now, uh, when you're a rookie, you can come in. Guys probably weren't gearing for him. Yes, um, guys were saying he's a rookie. We'll give him that shot. He's gonna hit it. If he hits it, we'll live with it. Sure. And now they're sitting here saying, well, if he's going to hit it, we need to like account for that. So like more game planning has gone into it, into that. And I think in general speaking, um, I think the same can be said for Isaiah Stewart had a really good rookie season guys, you know, coaches and other teams weren't, they weren't on his radar. Yeah. And so they were going to sit here and say, um, you know, we'll give you that shot, and if you prove us wrong, rookie, you know, great. Sure. And now they're kind of more uh, NBA coaches are really good at dissecting guys and going, what, what is he looking to do, and how can we game plan to not allow that? And I think those two in particular have kind of hit that of now. NBA coaches are looking at them and going, we can't let Isaiah Stewart do what he wants to do, or he's going to hurt us. Sure. So we need to do something where get him out of this comfort zone. Sadiq Bay the same way. So those two in particular, I think, uh, I would have liked to see the next step, right? Sadiq was averaging 12. I thought going into the year, man, if he could hit that 16 point range, Stewart, the same way put, you know, put another couple baskets on, um, to his, to his average, man, we got some great foundational players. I still think we do, but I think they need to learn now. That's where their learning is going to come into play of now that these guys are gearing towards stopping them. How do I overcome that to get back to where I need to be, to be what the Pistons need them to be, which is starting caliber NBA players that
0: are, are counted
1: on consistently.
0: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think they're both, uh, they've, they've both got to make improvements to, to really reach for the team to reach their ceiling uh, with, with, with them on it. I think last night we saw again, uh, it's been a, a big, big problem uh, all year long, going back to last year uh, maybe with every Dwayne Casey coached Pistons team not to lay the, I'm not trying to lay it at his feet. I want to know what you think about it. The third quarter is the most abysmal sack of shit that any I can even imagine a basketball. Like every single time we play a good first half, we come out in the third quarter and lay an absolute egg. Yet last night against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are a bad team, the Detroit Pistons came out after halftime drop trow right at center court and took a dump right at the friggin' logo and i just i want to know why that happens game in and game out uh maybe not why that happens but can you speak to what the challenges are as a coach for motivating from one half to another and getting uh 48 minutes of execution
1: uh yeah so you 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 game plan uh before the game, you know, look at what they're doing, look at what you're doing, how are you gonna take advantage of this matchup? What if they take advantage of that matchup? Things like that, right? And you go into it kind of prepared based on your preparation of what they like to do and what you like to do and how you're gonna do it. So then you get to play two quarters, right? And really <clears throat> there's there's the end of the first quarter, but again in whatever TV timeouts or whatever. But again those TV, you're not making wholesale changes in a minute timeout or in a three minute between the quarters. You go into halftime, you start looking at stats, you start looking at who's what's been working for you, what hasn't been working for you. You kind of reevaluate the preparation you did prior to the game and you start making your little adjustments. And 100%. Some coaches make better adjustments than others. That's why uh, you have different tiers of coaching, right? Sure. That's why they're not all. That's why you have coaches like Phil Jackson that are so much better. And then you have guys like uh, Scott Michael Brooks. <laughs> Scott Brooks, right? And there's a whole list in between, sure. right? Greg Popovich is another. Uh, he's I think he is the best preparation coach, and then at halftime adjustment coach. And a different sport, I'll give you a different sport. Maybe I know that we're talking basketball, but um, Bill Belichick, sure, um, in, in the NFL, really preps hard and then gets into you know the first and second quarter and then comes back in, in at halftime and goes. What worked? What didn't work? What do we have to change? How are we going to change it? Because if you don't change it, and even in the NBA, same thing, if you don't change it, you are looking at the same, you know, the team that goes, uh, I really like this matchup. We've hit this matchup eight times in the first half. They're just going to keep going back to it. It's like you're going to hit the same matchup over and over and over again until you make that defense adjust sure And if you don't adjust you're screwed so coming out of half it's almost like an entirely different game to speak specifically about last night they were ahead by 13 15 and a half they were up by a
0: a lot 18 Um, going into half but maybe maybe only 15 at the half
1: 15 at they have something they were up right they were yeah. they were handily winning the game they come out they actually had a decent third quarter and where they lost it was in the fourth quarter last night on the defensive end Oklahoma City shot 17 of 19 in field yeah. goals in the fourth quarter um that, that is not you're not Scheming seventeen of nine. Oklahoma State didn't, or Oklahoma City didn't scheme seventeen of nineteen. Right. Shooting. That's an effort thing. Yeah. Uh, that's the youngness Pistons kind of saying, "We got this one in the bag," and Oklahoma yeah. City said, "Not quite yet."
0: Yeah, we lost by seventy last game, so we're not going to let you off the hook that easy. Uh, yeah. Like that, that was the thing that frustrated me because most of the time like if when we played the Lakers and completely uh, fell apart after a certain point you kind of hang that on kind of like what you were saying where like if you have better it's not just better coaches making better adjustments but also better players adjusting to those adjustments better right so like when you have Anthony Davis who's a better player than anybody we have, by a long stretch right now uh he has the ability to not only have uh gotten a good adjustment but execute that adjustment better so it's almost like sleeping dragons wake up in the second half but we're not playing sleeping dragons when we're playing the oklahoma city thunder and that's what upset me so much about watching it last night Is like yeah i get it that when when we're playing the brooklyn nets they're gonna wake up we, we might, we might go into halftime with a 12 point lead and that's really going to wake them up and the sleeping dragon will awake, but it it just, um, do I really need to be worried about Alexi Pokashevsky? Like, is that who I'm frigging worried about playing again? I shouldn't be. It's the same thing with the Warriors game. The Warriors game was the most frustrating game for me as a, as a fan this season, because the Pistons played their a players however good they might be, they played their best players. They played their NBA starters and, uh, and, and Golden State didn't and still found a way to win that game.
1: The, the talent on our team, I'll give you a stack. And and I looked it up because I was kind of curious. Jeremy Grant is our, best player yep okay we we agree that kate needs to be but he's not quite there yet jeremy grant's our best player sure his per player efficiency rating now this is kind of advanced stats but sure it's it's pretty much a good stat to go by whether you're efficiently playing at your level he's at a 17 and some change right um i looked up because i was like okay 17 is that good is that average where does that fall Um, the top 40 is a who's who of the NBA, and Jokic is number one in his per let me get this right. Hang on here, you can edit this out. I want to make sure 33.6. Holy Moses! 33.6. Um, and I'll give you a couple others here. Um, Giannis is at 31, Butler is 27. Harrell is 26.5. You had asked me about Harrell. I take Harrell. I like I'd, Harrell. You might have to get rid of some other guys, but I take him because he's a he's a better player. Durant's 26. and Embiid is 25.9. Curry is 25.8. So, like, those guys, and, like, again, Donovan Mitchell is 21.9, um, and he's the 20th best uh, on the list. Sure. So, to have your best player at 17 and some change – That tells me that, yes, we're not executing, but we need better players. We do need better players. Um, uh, Where are they going to come from? Well, we have $39 million in free agency. So, yes, we need to go sign some people um, or somebody. uh, And we need Cade Cunningham. Cunningham, I think when I looked at it, he was in the 15, 14 range. As a rookie, that's probably decent um he needs to take that step up into the 20s uh, to for us to be a good player absolutely you know so things like that you do need to get better internally um but that'll give you an idea of um you know our best players at 17 and you know the top 20 the worst guy is 22 at donovan mitchell yeah so who should be uh, a piston
0: by the way let's just
1: okay Uh, so i have a take on that too you don't have to use it for the for the podcast but my buddy uh who i talked to who is my best man he's like god damn it we drafted luke i said you know there were uh where did mitchell go 14th i think 13th 14th 15th yeah i think he was the next pick was
0: he the next pick i think Kennard was 11 and mitchell was 12
1: either way right i was like there were a Stan van Gundy missed on that one, but there were 10 other guys that missed on that one too. Yeah. So let's right. not go yeah. saying, you know, Stan van Gundy was and I and you know, that's so that's the other thing about the NBA is uh it's a crapshoot. I mean, it is a literal guess sometimes. Giannis went twenty-second, twenty-sixth in the yeah. twenties. I mean you go back now, of course, hindsight's 2020, you're going to pick him number one, but there were 21 other teams that missed
0: on him. Right. Kawhi Leonard was 17th, I think.
1: Right. So, it's an educated guess. Yeah. And this goes back to why do you select Cade, number one? He's the closest. Now, that doesn't mean in five years you won't look and go, oh, man, we missed on whoever was drafted, you know, in in the mids, but yeah, and to bring to bring it back to to you, Tayshawn Prince, twenty second. Right, he was know, not the twenty
0: second best player in that draft. He was class. not the
1: twenty second best player, but you know, and you draft players for different you know reasons, draft
0: needs, and
1: and uh, how they performed and what their potential is, and and red tape and all this and all that, and uh, it's just an educated guess. I mean, yeah. unless unless you have lebron james and you're like well my educated guess is that he's gonna be he's gonna be real good right <laughs> uh but even Dway- someone like Dwayne wade whew, he was an educated guess coming right. out of marquette he could have been you know chris bosh same way you know these guys carmelo was good you could kind of see that he was going to be good but yeah. uh, in a different way so a lot of times they're just really educated guesses that you hope kind of work out.
0: Yeah. Cade and doesn't have I'll to be, be the best player in this draft class. It's, it's a good draft class. Uh, Cade needs to be on average worth the number one pick and I'll be satisfied. You know I, what I, I totally mean? I it, it, totally agree. You can't sit back there and go, okay, the, the, the class that I – Um, it's unfair it's unfair but the class when I talked about this class that I always compared it to was 1994 where you have Glenn Robinson who goes number one overall and it's hard for me to think that the uh, Milwaukee Bucks wouldn't think that that was a little bit of a mistake when Grant Hill and uh, Jason Kidd are are drafted directly after him uh, in reverse order of that Kidd at two Hill at three but uh, Mm -hmm. still like you got to think that they probably could feel like they missed but then you go back and you look at what Glenn Robinson did through his prime he was worth the number one pick He just wasn't the best player in that class But he was on average worth the number one pick So
1: Absolutely And coming out of Purdue I mean he terrorized the big He was a time. monster He was a monster
0: The core of the trade being discussed All over Twitter right now uh, Just to give that some sort of credence Is uh, Hammy For Bagley Probably Hammy and some stuff For Bagley Uh, Bagley, do you do it or do you not do it?
1: Well, so I got to ask you, what's the stuff? Because the
0: stuff, I have no difference. idea what the stuff will be. Uh, you have to think right? it would probably be like Trey Lyles or uh, potentially somebody like, uh, if they wanted him, Frank Jackson. Um, I would imagine if you're getting rid of Hammy, that Josh is going to stay on the team. I imagine they don't want Corey Joseph back. They just got rid of Corey Joseph to us last year. So they don't want <laughs> they him just back. got him off. They're like, yeah, they're right, yeah. not taking him back. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I think um, it would be, though. I think it would be Hamadou Diallo and a role player.
1: For Marvin Bagley. For Marvin Bagley. Uh, I, I would do it. Um, I, uh, you know, it's it's weird. Trey Lyle, had, you know, since Kelly Olenek, who somewhere has not come up, that I think I've made. Uh, when he went down, I texted you and said, that's going to be huge because yeah. of that whole pick and pop thing. And he's the only center big guy. Highest really P.E.R. on the there. team, by the way. Yes. Uh, and it's because he can shoot. It's because... Other defenders literally have to uh, worry about him hitting shots. Sure, right. So it puts a, 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 it it, you know it helps the defense or it helps the offense when he's out there. Anyways, yes, I like Marvin Bagley. I liked him when he came out. I think he had a lot of potential, um, and he hasn't for some reason in Sacramento. I don't know what they're doing out there in sack town they've you know i remember when weber and Divots and uh bibby and and they were fighting the lakers for spots in the conference finals and nba finals, and it was i mean some great great basketball and since then i don't know what they're doing out there um they've had a run of different coaches they've tried different players uh nothing seems to work um so uh, yeah, if if Sacramento wants to give up on Bagley this early, I think he's got enough. Potentially fits our our core age group. I think uh, he would give us another uh, wing guy that you know. And, and look, we're talking about Hamadou Diallo. Uh, he's only been playing fifteen minutes a game. Uh, you know, I don't know why you trade for someone if you're only playing fifteen minutes a game um and you give up on jackson who i think is a not a trash player again but undersized shooting guard yeah. jackson's not a point guard he's an undersized shooting guard and for sure um, you can't play him and saving lee together because of the this thing and so yeah if they want to take jackson because they have a spot for him that they can put somebody next to him where his deficiency is a little less uh trey lyle uh, you know i like trey lyle i think he's a a good he would be a good bench player but if you're gonna give up on him and hamadu to get bagley i would do it
0: yeah yeah me too um, uh bagley you know. solves a little bit of that jumpy big problem um if he's still got some of that he reminds me of like uh, a modern not not as a player but like uh jaleel okafor was a second pick and got uh they gave up on him fairly early because he didn't fit the modern league so much. And maybe shouldn't have been the second overall pick. Uh, Bagley is a similar situation. Only. I think he does fit the modern league. He can, he can shoot a little bit on the outside and he can play perimeter defense a little bit so he can move his feet side to side a little bit. So, uh, so yeah, I think I would, I would do Bagley too. I I think that is the trade. I'm with you on Ben Simmons. I wouldn't do it. Um, even though I think that there's uh, he, he would be the best player on the team immediately. I, I wouldn't do it. Um, And Bagley, I absolutely would do because I think that uh, there's just no path going forward for hammy and Josh Jackson to be on the same team. And Josh Jackson seems to be able to live with less usage.
1: Yeah. I, and, and I think Dwayne Casey likes Josh Jackson. He, yeah, I do too. He has kind of a, uh, I don't want to call it an attitude about him, but a a way about the way he handles himself that Casey really likes. Yeah. yeah, I think if, uh, and we've touched on it, they're the same piece. And so if you're going to, you know, get rid of one, uh, I think it's Hammondoo.
0: Yeah, and also Hamidu, I think, I think is, is six foot three and or six foot four, and Jay Jack's like six foot seven or something like that. So Jay Jack can actually play power forward a little bit in spots when you're doing small ball if you need him to. Whereas Hammy, they play him in that dunker spot sometimes, but he always seems too small to be there, even when he does some cool shit.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, and ha- so I think, I think Jackson, uh, I think that's the mentality. wish this team would take on more of his mentality this if I get 13 minutes a night tonight I'm going to play hard for those 13 minutes and if I get 25 the next night I'm going to play hard like the reason Golden State works so well uh, it's not just it is because they have good
0: players
1: obviously is a good player but they have this mentality that or at least back in the day when they had uh, Draymond Green and Kevin Durant and uh, Clay Thompson and Steph Curry and some of those guys—they uh, had this mentality that one night I might get thirty, and one night you might get thirty, and the next night so and so is going to get thirty, and uh, we're just getting—that's really hard to defend. Yeah, in the NBA. Sure. When you just don't know who's, and so, so I think that's where Roy Weaver wants this team to go. Sure, sharing of the basketball, positionless, switch everything on defense, shoot open shots. You're six seven. You might play thirteen minutes because the matchup says tonight your your matchup is thirteen minutes. Tomorrow night you might play. Th- Thirty, because the matchup says you are going to play thirty. Self um, a selfless basketball. That's yeah. the 4 team was one hundred percent happy for everyone else when they got theirs, even if they didn't get theirs. Sure, right, and that's what made them so good. That's yeah, like why Rasheed Wallace able-
0: averaged thirteen points a game as a Piston. That's right. outrageously low. It-
1: In Portland, he's a top 10 player
0: in the league. I mean,
1: unstoppable with that turnaround above his head. Yes. No one could stop that. Um, But he goes to the Pistons and he understands that his role is to uh, shoot when he has the ball, but be a defender and fit into the team. And not take a hundred percent of the shots and um, same thing with Prince, their mentalities all fit. Yeah. Uh, and the only one that they really said, okay, every night we're just gonna try and go to you over and over and over again was Rip Hamilton. And that's because he shot the ball so well. Yeah, he was the score. Run he'd run you out of the league.
0: Yeah. Yep. You know? Well, Soren, this was this was great um as long as you're willing to come on again i would i definitely want to have you come on again and we can talk more stuff maybe around the halfway point in the league where or in the season we're a little over a quarter of the way into the season right now so maybe in another 20 games or something uh come back um i is there anything else you want to you want to touch on before any any random thoughts you had on the team that you want to get out there into the ether before we uh before i edit this thing get it out there (laughs) All, all I'll say is, I thought we were going to win last night. Yeah, I me too. We were I thought we were going to win. I thought we were going to
1: win. Up 18. <laughs> all right, man. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I loved it. Uh, just shooting the shit, talking basketball, talking Pistons, getting philosophical. Yeah. And, uh, and I'd love to do it again if you'd love to have me. Sure.
0: Yeah. No, I would. I will. All right. That was the episode. Uh, hopefully you learned a little bit of something. I know I did. Huge thanks to Soren for coming on. And uh, I'm not sure if it'll be next week or the week after, but uh, I'll see you before Christmas.